Amanda, what are we doing today? We're doing Reading in Bed, episode 52, I think it is. It sounds about right, doesn't it? So, yeah, as you can tell, obviously, like everybody, I perform for you. I'm Andy N. She is... Amanda Nicholson. Yeah, now, obviously, with Reading in Bed, we're going to double-check. We've had confusion on this before, Amanda, haven't we? So uh, I've gone and numbered it wrong. Yeah, yeah, but it's definitely episode 52 this month, okay? Yeah. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be a five foot of snow. Oh, don't start that. Don't start that. <laughs> don't start that. I've had that before in snow. So people obviously know, like, you know me and Manda really well. But on my birthday's at the end of April. And I've had um do you remember a friend from Bogner Regis, Amanda, Andy, yeah. who lived in Brighton at one point. He came up to visit me, what, 15 years ago on my birthday, and it was on a Saturday. And they arrived, stopped at my mum and dad for a couple of days with me, and it started snowing. Kitty not, it started snowing on the 28th of April. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, I think I've known snow in April, but it's very rare. It is rare, so let's hope we don't get it. So, Anyway, right, before we start on the books today, news. Amanda, would you like to go first? Because you do so have news. We've, we've been on podcasts, well, a podcast and a radio show, haven't we? Yeah, do you want to tell people what they were? So I've forgotten the name of the podcast now. Actually. <laughs> oh, kill you. Kill you. I, know, so, I know it's Peter Humphreys that does it, but I've forgotten the name of his podcast. First Impressions, right? So, sorry, Peter. Right. <laughs> it's first Impressions, and I forgot it. That's my first impression. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm saying nothing, right? So but we had a good time with Amanda, didn't we? Because we spoke to Peter, what, about a couple of weeks ago, was it? First week, first week in March or something, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's just come out a couple of weeks later, and it's... It's basically, did it, he used us podcasts with one or two guests and he had a bumper episode set up. He's worked four poets, me, you, uh, and I forgot the lady's name, some lady from the Ukrainian Poets Project and our, our friend Lisa O'Hare, isn't it? So, yeah, and we didn't know we were sharing the episode with her, so that was a nice surprise. It was. Lisa's great, very, very talented writer. And we had good fun doing our, well, our bits were, our bits really, Amanda, weren't they? So, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and then um, what did we do yesterday, Amanda? We went on Hannah Kate's bookshelf, I think it's called. Hannah's, Hannah's I, get, I get confused because you used to call it bookcase, and now <laughs> I have to stop and question myself what it's called when I used to know before, and now I'm thinking, does he know something I don't know? Oh, it's Hannah's bookshelf, okay, which is on North <laughs> Manchester FM between 2 pm to 4 pm every Saturday and it is on Mixcloud to find yesterday's show so it's well worth watching we had a really we, did, we had a really good laugh there yesterday Amanda didn't we so yeah yeah we met we said it was what she had um, 12 poets on yesterday eight in person and four on I think she's done it through Skype she said four extra ones and the eight that were there we we knew what two of them didn't we apart from ourselves they looked yeah. at Paul Morris his wife Judy Morris who I love to see the world again and we met what what, four of them, no, you met four of the poets. I knew one of them, John Darwin, and there was a three other poets there and writers we hadn't met before. It was nice, nice afternoon, out it was. So it's well worth checking out the show, as I would say. So, right, a uh, quick bit of news from me is um, I've also had out this month the fifth in my Europa anti war books with my friend Nick Ambrister, Europa Five, which you can find if you look around for it. And that was when we talked about the Afghanistan war. And we've been working on book six in a minute, which is about the Ukraine war. And that's going to be out fairly quickly. So we're both raging over that. Right, Amanda. Should we do our first book of the month? Yeah. 
Right, we have the sort of an order out, have we, Zil? But no. Now, see, now obviously we've got to warn everybody today, if you hear this, there is going to be some quite adult material coming on later on. So what I think we'll do today, Amanda, is we'll should we do the two books out and whilst anybody can listen to, can't they, first of yeah, all? Yeah, so. the, the nice books. Right, we'll do mine first then, okay? My sci- I've got yeah. a sci-fi book, okay? And then we'll, Amanda's doing a poetry book in part two. Now, parts three, four and five, we do have to warn you, they're explicit content and they're not suitable for children before we start, Amanda, are they, so? No. Okay, well, that been the case then, Amanda. What do you want off me first? The title and the author. Okay, this is um, a sci-fi book by an American author called Clifford D. Simak, called City. Okay, so do you want to read the blurb? Yeah, okay. On a far future Earth, mankind's achievements are immense. Artificially intelligent robots, genetically uplifted animals, interplanetary travel, Genetic modification of the human form itself. But nothing comes without a cost. Humanity is tired, its vigour are all but gone. Society is breaking down into smaller communities, dispersing into the countryside and abandoning the great cities of the world. As the human race dwindles and declines, which of its greatest creations will inherit the earth and which will claim the stars? So how did you discover this book then? This has come off a couple of people, actually. A couple of recommendations come from the same book, actually, in the past couple of months. First of all, my friend Keelan Cody recommended this to me. He's been reading this author a lot. But Dad recommended this one to me about a month, two months ago as well. And also I was chatting to this writer with our friend John Keane. And stop writer allowed stop book the other month as well. All recommended to it's an interesting combination of people recommending the same book to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is really. Now, it's, um, it's, it's classic you know, sci-fi, this book as well, because to explain to you, Amanda, first of all, it shows you this. It's a series of eight interconnected short stories that were originally between 1944 to 1951, yeah. with an additional story wrote in 1971 as a tribute to its original editor, John W. Campbell. And... Uh, tell me how you feel about this, Amanda. There's eight, there are eight interconnected short stories. Apart from the last two stories, it's a completely different cast every time. But it's mostly on the same family, you know, going across 10,000 years and generations. Yeah. And well, it was like, it was interesting, really, because it was, um, the scope of it is really, really quite immense. In it, it's, as I said before, it stretches over 10,000 years from man who abandons their homes in the cities in fear of the atomic bomb. Because you think back in the 40s and 50s, that was a big threat, wasn't it? Yeah. So he's like, he's, he's wrote really reactive to that. And then basically over the future generations where most of man then, mankind then flees to Jupiter, leaving a new world order to be established by talking dogs and their robot helpers. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a bit, it works, it works, but it's a bit, you know what I mean? It's, it's an odd one, really, because... What do you think? Do you think to that? Could you imagine that being wrote nowadays? No, not really. But like the futuristic stuff that was written like decades ago, it's a bit more out there, I think, than the futuristic stuff that's written now. It's like when we watch Black Moon and stuff like that, it's, you could actually see it. But the the older sort of science fiction stuff, you think, oh, that'll never happen. Yeah, this one's very similar in some ways, and that. 
It's but what I did like about it, there was a couple of really good things about this story to begin with. There was one where there was a quite obviously quite a lot of technology in it, but he didn't actually directly address the technology. He basically implied it a lot more. And I think that's at that stage, the technology itself was obviously they didn't know what they were going to get, say, 60 years later, really, I suppose, did they any more than that? Mm. And then um, what I also particularly liked about it was whenever you see a lot of um, sci-fi stuff, it's like huge about action, about world-threatening things, isn't it? So this is book was quite different. The tone of it is quite different, where it's a lot more relaxed. And also, I think, as well, there's um, the confrontation in it is very, very different. He's done told in a very, very deep, gentle leisure. And a lot of the best short stories in this book aren't with a massive explosion or twist at the end. Sometimes they leave you with a question, thinking, oh. So it's like, do you get me? Well, the tone's quite different, isn't it? So yeah. that's what. So, but yeah, like I said before, it's, a, it's worth noting that, and I've not wrote it down, it's typical, really. But um, where you've got a stage, it's all about the same family for over 10,000 years. And by the last two short stories, is by a robot descendant of one of the people. And one of the descendants comes back in briefly on the last story, and the eighth story, so it's like, it's, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating book, actually, really. So was there any overlap then? So, like, in one story, they might refer to somebody from the past story, like uh, yeah. grandma or whatever. Yeah, they mentioned the people. A lot of people got mentioned in it yeah. indirectly, but I said it wasn't, they didn't directly talk about them. But what they did each story was it moved the narrative along in the very gentle, subtle way, really, about, say, what happened two, three hundred years later in humanity, and then basically how it's changed. And then I think it was the third story, where it's Jupiter, and that's when the, a lot of the people started going to moving over to Jupiter just to escape from the Earth, because the Earth was basically a mess by that stage. So it's, it, was, it was a fascinating book, it really, really was a fascinating book. So is there any more good points you want to say before you move on to any good um, points? Let's have a look. No, I don't think there, there wasn't a lot really. But what I did was this was, and I want to question ask you, Amanda, this, because I read it over nine days and it's about 280 pages. It's quite a, a reasonably short book anyway. But what I did was I read one short story a day. And yeah. then, like, it gave you a chance to let the, the book breathe more. And I think it worked really well, that. Have you ever done that, Amanda, with books that have like interlinked short stories throughout the full of the book? And you, so you just read one at a time and stop goes another one another day, don't you? I can't remember ever reading a book like that where the short stories are all linked to each other. I could be wrong, but I don't remember anything off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you read there. But as I said, it's, it's an interesting book, this one. So, and because it's only 280 pages, it was reasonably gentle to read as well. So, but anyway, so. Okay, so is there any bad points? Oh, yeah. Well, I think the book is dated, unfortunately. When you get to a book, like I said, it's eight, what, 80 years old now, or nearly 80 years old, the first part of it. it the way you write nowadays, it, it has, has evolved somewhat from this book, and I think the characters are a bit too thin in places, and the, it was like, it was dated, certainly, because I used the characters. And and then the one mistake he did make in the book was, and in the last two short stories... Obviously, like mankind, mankind's vanished. It's either died out or it's gone to Jupiter. And I'm not going to say what's happened to Jupiter, but it's, mankind's not the same, shall we put it bluntly. And all that's left was robots, dogs, and ants, would you believe? And the ants took over the world. And I thought to myself, the ants were a bit, it was a funny one because I didn't, they didn't really give, 
much attention to the answer, so he didn't really get what their motivation was, and that was a, probably a mistake. But yeah. if they'd done that, it'd have been another two, three short stories, and it, you know what I mean? He might have overloaded the book somewhat, so. Okay. Like, also, I said before, it was the technology, like I said, is if you like, it's sci-fi, more technical. This isn't that sort of book. And it's also certainly not book, a sci-fi for people like seeing explosions and the world under threat. It's not that kind of book at all. Yeah. Okay, that's my comments. Okay, so do you want to give it a mark out of 10? What do you think I'm going to give this, Amanda? I think you're going to recommend it. I don't know how highly. It's an eight. I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. It was, it's not, it's one of those books where it's a quaint little book and it's definitely dated. It's from such a book, but it's a book of some likes of science fiction to be more of an emotional character and about characters rather than explosions. So it's a, it's a really good book. I recommend it. Okay. Right, Amanda. We're going to... Shall I give some clues for my next book? Then? Your first book, you mean? Yeah. Well, yes, the she... next book on here was my first book. Yeah. Go on, go for it. What's your first book? Then we give us a clue. There's some things I haven't told you. Oh, well, I hope not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, people that know us, we've been married for six months, seven months now. And I like it with me, wouldn't you? And like we've been together five and a half years. I hope there's, there's something, there's what things man has not told me, it doesn't come from his book next. <laughs> right, well, seriously, guys and girls, stay out, hang around. We shall see you in a minute. Say bye, Amanda. Bye. Read in a bed. Read in a bed. Hi guys, yes, Reading in Bed, episode 52. I am Andy N. I am Amanda N. Oh, yeah, Amanda N today, not Amanda Nicholson, or Amanda yes. Steele, or Amanda C, Amanda A. I don't know. It was funny, um, yesterday, people wondering, we were at Hannah Kate, Hannah's bookshelfing. Didn't she introduce you incorrectly, Amanda, didn't she? And say she introduced you as Amanda N or Amanda C? I think she nearly did. I think she introduced me as Amanda Steele, because obviously I sort of put my name down, because mm. I've been on that show so many times now. It'd be like, who's Amanda Nicholson? It's like, we know Amanda Steele's been on there 10 million times, but not Amanda Nicholson. Exactly, so Amanda <laughs> been on a number of times as well. So, yeah. But that's what I know. Anyway, so I won't show them. So, but anyway, Amanda, what is your first book of the month? Okay, so it's called Some Things I Still Can't Tell You by Misha Collins. Is there a blurb for this book? Yeah. From Misha Collins, actor, longtime poet and activist, whose massive online following calls itself Army for Good, comes his debut poetry collection, Some Things I Still Can't Tell You. Trademark wit and subtle vulnerability converge in each poem. This book is both a celebration of an appreciation aspiration of life well lived the book is a compilation of small observations and musings it's filled with moments of reflection and a love letter to the simple joys passing the simple blade of grass on the sidewalk the freedom of peeing outdoors late at night or the way a hand-built ceramic mug feels when it's full of warm tea on the chilly morning it's a catalogue and compendium that examines a complicated experience of being all too human and interacting with a complex, confounding, breath-taking world and a reminder to stop and be awake and alive in yourself. Interesting. Now, obviously, for people who don't know Amanda, who is Misha Collins? 
Well, it says all the things that he is there, but if you want to know what he's been an actor in, the main one is Supernatural, even though he's been in quite a few other things as well, but he was yeah. in Supernatural, I think, the longest. Yeah, he did, what was it, 12... Did he come in season three of Supernatural or something, didn't he? Oh, season four, I think it was. Was it season four? Yeah. So people wondering if he was in it, and then obviously 11 years after that. So it was quite funny, wasn't it, because he only meant to come in for a guest appearance for a couple of episodes, didn't he? And uh, everybody seemed to really like him, so only seemed to stay around then, didn't they? So yeah, that's why. But yeah, so no, but you told me before, man. I didn't know this. Like, but you knew he'd been writing poetry before, hadn't you? Yeah, I used to follow him obsessively on Twitter, and I knew from that that he wrote poetry, but I'd never seen any of it, so I didn't know what it was like. Right. Well, that been the case, and you better give us the strengths and the weaknesses, hadn't you? So. Give us first of all then the strengths. I actually like some of the poems. They're like little sort of reflections of moments and things like that. Or just mm. like little snippets of moments and emotions. Uh, but the, on the other side of it, I was reading some reviews and there was people going, oh, that's not poetry. And it's like, I don't think we've heard people read that sort of poetry, you know, at Speakeasy and the nights we've been to, but I think it's still mm. classed as poetry because there's a lot of different things what poetry is. I don't think it's just one thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, tell us about then the structure of the book then, so for the strengths of it. What did you really like about this book? The physical part, well, the sort of appearance of the book actually was different because it's like, you know, when you get a poetry book, Normally, like, they'll make use of both sides of the page, won't they? Mm. And this one was, unless the page was spread onto two pages, if there were just one page poems, then the next page would be blank and then it'd be the poem on the next page then, so Mm. it seems to waste a lot of paper. How big a book was it then? Oh, I don't have it with me, but it it was under 200 pages, I Maybe much, quite a bit under that. I can't remember the exact page count. But half of it was blank pages. Possibly not. That is a bit... That, I've got mixed feelings about that, to be honest with yourself. What's your impression? What do you think to that, then? I suppose if you're reading a book and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to take me however long to read, and then you think you're zooming through it because there's all the blank pages. Mm. After each poem, except for the one that I take up two pages, and suppose you can think you're reading it faster. But on the other side of it, it's like when everyone's going on about global warming and paper and cutting down trees, it seems a bit of a waste. Yeah, I see what you mean with that. It's, it's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? So, yeah, so I'm getting mean with that. So, now obviously, like you told me as well, didn't you? The actual, because I've not read this book, what I meant to have meant to have a look at it, and you, I know you've read some pieces out to me. But what do you think to the actual structure of the poems? You said some of these are more like thoughts in places, didn't you? Yeah, there's like some little ones that are just like such and such said this and I said that and then I left feeling blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, I suppose it works, but I can understand on the other hand why people are going, oh, well, that's not, that's not a poem. Yeah. So I suppose okay. poetry is whatever you want it to be, really. Yeah, I think so as well with that. I say it's very open to interpretation of the poetry a lot of the time. So, and it's like it's, it sounds like it is with this book, definitely. So, now, is there anything else you want to talk about with this book, Amanda, before we go into weaknesses? Yeah, the thing is, I don't know if they've done this on purpose, but 
That's, it make, it's going to make me need to read the whole thing again now because like I told you yesterday after I finished reading it and the acknowledgements and then it mentions that he split with his wife well they're separated they're not divorced yet so you know there's a chance for them to sort things out but I didn't know that reading it and some of the poems I'd been reading I was thinking oh they sound like they're about like an ex or something but he's been with his wife for so long so I don't know when he had time to like, date anybody else to write these poems yeah. about them so now, like looking back on it and knowing that, which was at the end of the book, it's like if I ever go back and reread it now, it's going to have a different meaning to it going back now. And yeah. It. yeah, I found it, when you said that for man, I found it a bit odd that really, because obviously we talk about obviously like he's separated from his wife, but like, should you have actually put that in the back of the book really? I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? So. Yeah, it, it does put everything into perspective so that I understand it more now and I know who the poems were about because I was thinking, re- reading part of a poem and thinking, oh, it's about his wife and then like, it gets to the end and it sounds, it sounds like these people have split up. It can't be about his wife. And then you get to the end and find out they are separated. And he, he never really said anything on social media about it. So he kept he's kept, he's kept it private. So I'm hoping that means that they're going to get back together again because I've seen pictures of the children and they've got some other children together. Yeah, it sounds like but you just have to hope. And I said, for anybody, you don't. I'm always a believer. You don't want to see people unhappy. And I said, this, well, anyway, good luck to them. Okay, good luck to the family. My philosophy with that definitely. So now I've got to ask you, Mother. Obviously, it's very hard with poetry books. This one. Was there anything you didn't particularly like about this book? It took some getting used to just because it was in the different format that I was talking about. But by the end of it, I was thinking, well, yeah, it's just capturing little parts of his life. Just those moments where he just sees something or someone says something to him and then he realised something. I think, I think that is part of what poetry is about. It doesn't matter what format you put it in. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. Now. So good, good luck to him in the book, definitely. So that one. Now, I seem to. When did you first hear about him being a poet? I knew years ago. I'd, I'd seen it somewhere. I don't know if he'd mentioned it on social media or I'd read an article, but I'd never seen any poetry. Mm. And then I think we were doing our research in Waterstones, <laughs> where we're going to Waterstones, look at books, and then find them cheaper somewhere else. Or get them through well, um, yeah. alternative revenue streams. And I actually found myself looking at this book, which had a really nice cover. It took me about 10 seconds to click. I thought, that looks like a nice poetry book. It's a nice cover on that. And then I read Misha Collins on it. I was like, what? <laughs> That's how like, I picked it up, and I'm like, where would it be? Like, look at this, look at this. <laughs> yeah. And then it's worth knowing, obviously, like I said, it's um, that one um, mysteriously jumps into my basket um, a couple of days later in time for Valentine's Day, because I know, if anyone knows, obviously knows Amanda does like Misha Collins a lot. Is that the best way of putting it, Amanda, to yeah. you? That's why, so it jumped into your basket, and that's why. But I thought you'd enjoy it. It does so. Now, is there anything we need to bring up about this book, Amanda, before we conclude? No, there's nothing else. I'm ready to give it a score. What are you going to give us out of 10? I'll be surprised if this is not a recommendation. I'm giving it 9 out of 10. Oh, high recommendation. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. That's excellent stuff, then. That means that it's a strong recommendation. Amanda's really enjoyed it. Is that correct? Yeah. Good. Okay, then. Me next, isn't it? So, 
Yeah, I think we have to say goodbye to anybody who doesn't have a strong stomach now, don't we? Because it's all downhill from here. Yeah, it will get a bit darker this bit now, don't you? So, so I'm not going to give any hints away on this, Amanda. Obviously, we have to do a legal disclaimer now. The next, the rest of this podcast is on heavy adult material. It's definitely not suitable for everybody. So, right, Amanda, should we conclude? Yeah. Give everybody your childlike wave then. Say bye. Bye. Welcome back to Reading in Bed with Andy N and who am I? Amanda N. <laughs> no, um, no, is that Amanda C, Amanda N or Amanda Nicholson, Amanda Steele? I don't really know. Who's Amanda someone... C? Why would there be a C? I'm just bugging any letters out. That's why, so just to confuse you. Now, obviously, whose turn is it now, Amanda N? You're next. I'm now. Okay, so yeah, as we stated before, anybody that's still listening to this, the next three books in this today's session are of adult material. So parental discretion is advised. Now, what do you want to know first of all, Amanda? The title and the author. Okay, I'm on the current book by Paul Auster today, which came out the back end of last year called Burning Boy. Okay, you do you want to read the blurb? Yes, I do. It's a bit of a longer blurb, this, okay? Okay. But, but yeah, I'll read it, okay? That's the blurb is, Booker Prize shortlisted in New York Times best-selling author, Paul Auster's comprehensive landmark biography of the great American writer Stephen Crane. With Burning Boy, celebrated novelist Paul Auster tells the extraordinary story of Stephen Crane, best known as the author of The Red Badge of Courage, who transformed American literature through an avalanche of original short stories, novellas, poems, journalism, and war reportage, for his life was cut short by a turbulocus at age 28. Auster's probing account of his signal life covers Crane as he rebounds from one perilous situation to the next. Controversial article written at 20 disrupts the course of the 1892 presidential campaign a public battle with the New York police department over the false arrest of a prostitute effectively ends exiles him from the city. A star-crossed love affair with an unhappily married uptown girl tortures him. A common-law marriage to the prosperators of Jacksonville's most elegant boarding house in Jaws. A shipwreck results in his near-drowning. He withstands enemy fire send of dispatches in the Spanish-American War. And then he relocates to England, where Joseph Conrad becomes his closest friend. And Henry James weeps over his tragic early death. In Burning Boy, Auster not only puts forward an immense read about an unforgettable life, but also casts a dazzled eye on Crane's astonishing originality and productivity, providing a skewedly knowing insight into Crane's creative process to produce the rarest of reading experiences. The dramatic biography of a brilliant writer, as only another literature master could tell it. Okay. So what made you want to read this book then? Well, you know, anybody who knows me and also know Friedrich Beck, I love Paul Auster's work. He's one of the rare modern writers, really, that's jumped around all kinds of genres. He's done what I think is 14 novels. He's done poetry books, he's done screenplays, directed films. He's just done numerous sort of books of his own non-fiction. But this is the first time that I can think of he's actually done a biography on another writer. And this one was, um, I know he, st- he first started reading about this guy, basically, um, 
when he was when he was in T College himself of forty years ago, and it took him about forty years to actually have the guts to go and write, write this book, basically. Okay, so do you want to talk about any good points? Yeah. Now, people wondering, obviously, reading in bed, they would know. Um, I reviewed Orsa's last book. Ooh, was it a couple of years ago, Amanda, wasn't it? Four, three, two, one. Yeah, we're always fighting off burglars with his books. <laughs> no, his last two, and this one and the last one, certainly. His other book from all lighter. Four, three, two, one was what the miscreate was eight hundred and fifty pages. Yes, in hardback. So it's not like the sort of book I could carry on the Kindle to work. Because I I had the pleasure of reading this at home and four three two one where I'd read it over lockdown when I was in ground at the back of us over about a month this one i read it at home over about three months it took me three months to build or a month to build the guts up to read this one because it's just it's so long and you think i think man let me ask you a question then because i know you've read um one or two books haven't you that are over a thousand pages 800 up what's the yes. experience like for you with that then first of all then well, the one that comes to mind is The Stand, and that was an audio book, but as a physical like hardback, I think that would be quite hefty carrying it around. Yeah, so this was this was not out of flat, basically. And it was... You think really, Amanda, with this one, um, the book guy wrote about Stephen Crane, he barely lived into the 20th century. I think he died round about, round about his birthday a couple of days before. So to go and do... An 800 page novel on his like a guy that barely lived, really, you can argue at 28. It's ambitious, isn't it? Certainly. Yeah, I don't think I've, I've probably have about 20 pages to put in a novel about me at the age of 28. <laughs> probably about the same as me as well. Most of my pub stories as well. So, yeah. But like I said, it was, um, I was a former star on this, and I knew his two most famous books, which are both covered in quite some depth in this. Maggie, A Girl of the Streets, and The Red Badge of Courage, which I will be reviewing at a later date in reading in bed. I'll tell you that now, okay? But, but what I certainly wasn't aware of a lot of his other work. And I, you got from the bio, didn't you? Like, he lived, he lived a heck of a life, really, serving as a war correspondent in Greece and Cuba. And he like, he's barely had a shipwreck and had all kinds of scandals up in his life. It's like, Allstert basically covered, he examined everything single work of his he's done throughout his life and talks about his life and talking quite some detail and what's interesting is book commanders really is um you like know, you're writing books like yeah. what's the longest book you've done so far today i'm gonna to have to ask you about yours now as well oh about maybe two three hundred pages not words <laughs> yeah it's not plastic books yeah yeah now, <laughs> Now, seriously, okay, with um, this one, Austin apparently wrote this in 18 months, would you believe? Yeah. I, I suppose that's... if that's your full-time job, though, and you've got nothing else to do when you actually make a full-time living from writing fiction books, mm. it's, it's doable. Yeah, I believe that he wrote this, this was his lockdown book, Josh. I heard yeah. this. I, I did hear talk of this, and we had a break after doing four, three, two, one, and then went into this then. But it's far to name this book because four, three, two, one was set in America. And from the end of the American Civil War right up into the 1890s. So there is parallels between Crane's life and 4321. And it's, I've read, I've read all those books, and this definitely feels like, you know what I mean, where you can feel like he, you see where his influence come from his previous book. That's why. So, but it was like, 
if I'm honest, I don't know a writer. Right, possibly Stephen King might have managed this, but there's not a lot of authors that have the guts to go and do this to actually spend 18 months writing a book. This was pretty frankly amazing. It yeah. is, and it's heartfelt and very witty. And you, you never cease to feel this can also is in awe of Crane. It feels like this all along. And I didn't realize this until I've nearly finished the book off that Crane hadn't really been taught in schools in America for years and probably been forgotten a little bit. Yeah. Well, I said, but it's, I've got to be careful. So the reason why this is on the adult side of it, because I've told you what Maggie a Girl in the Streets about Amanda Ravenna. Yeah. Right, well, I've got to talk about a bit about both those two books. The Red Badge of Courage is his anti-war book. It's pretty brutal. It's, it's not an easy book to read. And Girl, Maggie a Girl in the Streets, about a prostitute in New, in New York. And there's talk going around. Did I tell you about this before, Amanda? Where it's meant to be based on somebody you knew. No, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, it's meant to be rumoured based on some woman he knew, basically, he had an affair with that was apparently going back to his house every Saturday night. And sometimes he's out playing cards, he'll come back home and find her asleep in his bed. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what I mean. But Maggie, the girl of the streets, is very, very full on. It's and I'll talk about this more in reading in bed because it's but there is a scene in the book where her Maggie's mum gets kicked to death by a pimp for not doing mm. enough work. Yeah, and it's yeah. full on. He's talked about the body on the floor, and she's been just been this guy pimps literally kicked her to death probably over about half an hour, kept putting the boot in to just come when she died. It's but the book itself is full of very graphic, quite graphic, frankly, disturbing scenes like that. So yeah. like it's going to be read for caution that book, and a badge of red badge of courage is not much, not less more brutal. So like I said, but it's it kind of surprised my author is obsessed with this all right because it's quite different to what he does. He's writing very the same sort of cleverness, but the brutality is not there certainly. Yeah. Right. Okay, Amanda. That's my strong points. Okay. So do you want to move on to the weak points? What do you reckon my weak points are? Probably exactly the same as a strong points. Um, no, it's too long. Yeah. You tell me, honestly, like, it's, I've got to be honest with this. Or Orster has put an apology out for this book, as with 4321 over the length of them. And I thought to myself, you probably should have had an editor to tend to cut it down, to honest you. Because I, yeah. it's when you're doing books like that, you're only going to get your real hardcore fans reading them, aren't you? Yeah, but I think when you get to the point where you become known for books like that, if you release something shorter, people will be like, oh, is that all it is? What, what where's the rest of it? But he's done books, they've done very short books before. There's a book in our bookcase called Tim Book Two about a talking dog. And that's all that's, that's under 200 pages. That's so it's actually. I like talking dogs. I know you do. Well, it's ironic. <laughs> We've talked already done about a talking dog yeah. already. So <laughs> well, I might review that one again sometime. I might dig it up and let you read it. We'll both review it together because it's interesting. It's a good little book, that one. But this, like I said, it's this feels to me like it's um, an author he's in his 70s now where he's got nothing left to prove and he's just writing what he wants to write. And he's like, it's, and it's probably very hard for a publisher to say, no, Paul, cut it back by about 200 pages because he won't do it. <laughs> Yeah, and providing he hasn't done anything crazy, he's probably financially okay, so he's got nothing to worry about. Yeah, he's interested with him, really, because his wife's a novelist as well, best-selling novelist, and the daughter's a jazz singer who's done a couple of albums. So it's like I said, it's, it's a bit of an odd, interesting family, really. So, But yeah, it's it's a fascinating book, but it's too long. It, it 
it didn't drag, but it should have. It should have been cut down, I think, a bit too in terms of serious so. now. Brother, that's all my comments. So what's your score out of 10? What do you think I'm going to give here, then? I think it's going to be at least an 8 or 9. I'm giving it 9 out of 10. It's a fantastic book. It, really, it was a pleasure reading it. I didn't know... I knew of Crane, but I didn't know his work before this, and I'm now reading two of his books at the moment. Not at the same time, of course. Two, my wandering eyes of two books yeah. at the same time, but... I've got a couple in the Kindle going through, so yeah, it's interesting. But, um, I enjoyed it. Right, Amanda. Right, as you can see, obviously we talked about prostitution and brutality. Hmm. Now we're going to lay into social media, aren't we? Which is my favourite thing to do. Yeah. yeah. In a somewhat <laughs> darker way. I think that's the best yeah. way of putting it in it. So, and then if you think we've done a bleak book first, you ain't seen nothing yet. So. Say I'm not going to start singing that. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't either. We'll see you in a minute, okay? Say bye, Amanda. Bye. Read in the bed. Read in the bed. Hi, guys. Yes, Reading in Bed, episode 59. She is Amanda Nicholson. And he is Andy N. Right, yes. Now, as we said before, we're into the adult section of the podcast. This is a very disturbing book we're going to read next. And I, I'm going to be quite serious as the best we can, Amanda, really, aren't we? So, yeah. like I said, it's, so the book itself is by, and I can't find the name, or for the name of the laptop's frozen, huh? Hayley Phelan, like me. And this book, I do need to state, did you did your copy have this, Amanda, as well? It had an explicit warning right at the front of the book. I can't remember. Yeah, mine I, definitely. I eat, I eat those for breakfast. Oh, well, we know that by now. <laughs> Anybody's wondering, Amanda, uh, if she starts seeing adult warnings for the TV pro, she starts cheering normally. Yeah, I usually think they're trying to seduce me or something. <laughs> but, sir, but seriously, okay, we do have to be quite serious to a degree. Yeah. Like I said, we will take the piss of this book to a degree, but it is, well, one of the most, how do you say it, man, one of the most eye-opening books you've done for a while, this one? I think there's a touch of realism to it if you look into, like, the seedy world of modelling and yeah. Instagram and the effect it's had on it. Yeah, no, definitely. I better, I better read the blurb out, haven't we, before we start? Yeah. So, like me. Oh, I knew you'd ask me to do this. Well, I'm not even going to read the bit of black in it, because the black bit, I can't pronounce half the words. So I'll just cut out the first black. It's a kind of psychological thriller that follows an aspiring model down a social media fuel rabbit hole of obsession, narcissism, and self-destruction. For 19-year-old Mickey, Instagram offers a tantalising portal into the world she wishes she inhabited. Few beautiful, cunning, and privileged Mickey finds herself with a stalling modeling career, an escalating drinking problem, few friends, and next to nothing in the bank. To numb her growing despair, she spends her days frantically refreshing her Instagram feed, obsessively tracking the movements of insert famous model Gemma Anton. Gemma is a perfected version of Mickey, living a seemingly perfect life, a skyrocketing career a famous photographer friend and adoring foddles. For foddlers? Oh, for foddlers, then. <laughs> foddlers. <laughs> so, um, the life Mickey wants more than anything else herself. She studies every detail Gemma offers for the window of her phone, trying to establish, learn, mimic, become the object of her growing fascination. Then a chance encounter thrusts Mickey, Mickey into a world of opportunity and she meets with surprising and immediate success. Braza online persona begins to take over her life. Mickey finds it increasingly difficult to separate reality from the facade of Instagram. Engrossing, sharp and astute, 
Like me is a shimmering portrait of information, disconnection, identity in the digital age, and a dazzling introduction to a brilliant new voice in contemporary literature. Right, Amanda, I'm going to let you start off with this one. Okay, tell us a little bit what you like about the book. So I was drawn into it because of the Instagram handle, hand, yeah. the handle on it, because obviously I'm interested in stuff like that that looks at like the dark side of it, because I think there is a very dark side to it that a lot of people either don't talk about, or if they do talk about it, it's usually, you know, people then they just go off or they commit suicide because of it and stuff like that. Yeah, this, I, I do you know what it's reminded me of in the first part of the book was, I actually initially thought it was actually going to become like a single white female do you remember that film with Bridget Fonda in from years ago? I've heard of it, but I never watched it. Yeah, it's, it initially started off in that direction when she basically took over her life. And I thought this was going to go that direction, and it did in a way. But, but like it, obviously, then, like, then you end up with Nikki bumping into Gemma in a nightclub, and then everything seems to go pretty mad, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, my favourite bit of this book really was, and I want to know your favourite bit it was as well, when the book when it talks about social obsession and the danger of social media, and Instagram in particular. And I was kind of surprised she got away with writing this book because I'm surprised Instagram didn't sue her. Yeah, but I suppose you just got to prove that, you know, there is things like that and they are, so it's easily proven. Yeah, true. I like the fact where she was getting obsessed, was she, you know, more likes. I must have more comments, more likes. Next yeah. step, another picture, more likes, more comments. It was like, and there, there is there's so many people on Instagram now. And I mean, I know there's other social media platforms, but I think that's the main one that's really setting it off. And they're just obsessed with it. And that's all they do all day just post pictures of themselves, like not wearing very much, pouting, just like having a certain look, the bone sticking out, and still not thinking they're skinny enough. Yeah, there is that's what this book. At his best, I me mean, really touched on, and a certain like it was. How did you feel about the sex scenes in it? It was. I don't did, think they were overly graphic, to be honest. Yeah, it was. Um, I've I've seen and read worse in other books and films and things. Yeah, this was causing the controversy of the sex scenes. It was basically there was a scene in it when she got press gowned having sex with the photographer when she was basically she wasn't turned on and she just fucked him anyway, like because she felt she had she had to. Then she effectively got raped, didn't she, later on by some cowboy guy or something. Yeah, but I think there's so much of that in real life, not just in modelling, but just in, like, the film industry and stuff. So it's like, if it, even though it's fiction, if it highlights that in some way, then I think it's a good thing because people need to know that that goes on. Yeah, no, I agree. That was one of the bottles that is best for me. Now, uh, let's have a look. Check, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, that covers all my strengths of the book, really. So, now, is there anything you particularly want to like about this book, Amanda, before we go into weaknesses? I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but there was a sort of twist, but I figured it out halfway through the book. Um, yeah. I thought, I thought it was done quite well, because by the time we got halfway through the book, I was thinking, oh, I think this is what's going to happen, and it did. Yeah, that's fair enough. Sad like, okay, we better go into weaknesses then, I suppose, hadn't we? So, yeah. is there anything that you particularly disliked about this book? And I, I, I've got two points to raise on it, do you understand? There was a few, but it's probably not the same things as you. I think it was a bit slow in places. And the uh, mother character, she just 
I know, like, maybe that's just the way she was, but it just felt like she didn't really care at all and she didn't see what was happening to her daughter right in front of her. Yeah. It's been, I've read, read up on comments in this book, Goodreads and a few websites, and it's... How did you feel about the main character, Nikki? Did you find her quite unsympathetic? Kind of see like how she got to where she was. Mm. I can't relate to her, obviously, because I've not been like that. And I'm lucky enough in a way that I grew up when there was no Instagram or even much of an internet. Yeah, I think we're lucky in the side of things with that because like it's obviously the internet exploded what 20, 25 years ago, and I was a man adult, adult by that point myself. And you were like, you were heading in that direction as a young lady, weren't you? So yeah, it's always it's good that we didn't have that to play, play when we were younger. But yeah, it was. There's a lot of paranoia in this book, and it, I was a bit uncomfortable with the character. I didn't find her very sympathetic in places, I must admit. So, is there anything else you didn't like this book, about this book, Amanda? Nothing, that's it. Uh, I've got a couple of things in this one, Jonathan, and I'm going to probably end up bringing a big spoiler out that you were hinting at in the first part as well. But I was a bit... I've, I kind of guessed the twist, basically. I'm guessing you're talking about Gemma, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I felt that I should have been bought in much quicker than what it did through Patology. I felt it was too long. It was a bit long-winded to get to that point, and it's only a reasonably short book anyway. But I've got also, I have to be honest here as well, um, people are wondering last month as well. We reviewed a book last month called Beverly Cliff's Last One at the Party. Yeah. And I kept thinking of this book with that in a different way, because in Last One at the Party, I loved the ending where... Basically, you didn't find out what happened to her. Yeah. You know, her daughter survived even. In this book, the epilogue was completely, you didn't, you didn't need it. I don't think you needed it. And it went on for 40 or bloody pages as well. So I do, what do you think? Do you reckon that epilogue bit was needed? Um, I suppose not, but it sort of ties things up, doesn't it? Yeah, I just found it ties up a bit too ne- neatly for yeah. me. I'd rather seen it done like last one at the party where, you were left wondering yourself. Leave, let make you didn't make the audience work enough for me. The end parts of it, and I found the first part of the book somewhat disjointed as well. But but I said, just opinion that. So I don't, and that's all my comments really on this, Amanda. So, but you think yourself really? Let me ask you a question on this. If they had took off that epilogue, which said was forty odd pages, it was the book itself was under three hundred pages, wasn't it? So yeah, it would have probably turned it into a novella. Yeah. And I think I'm wondering myself, I think it would have been better like that, but anyway. Okay, so shall we give it marks? Ladies first. I'm going to give it eight out of ten. I'm not. <laughs> six. <laughs> Sorry, it's a six. Well, it's an average of seven, so it's a yeah. recommendation. Recommendation <laughs> just, but it gets a six for me. It's one of those ones where it didn't, I found the book very disjointed and I felt it was trying to be controversial for the sake of being controversial in places, which is ironic considering what you're doing next to Mandarin. I know already. <laughs> but that's why. But yeah, I thought this, if it hadn't had, if it chopped off the, the ending and made it a novella, it would have got an eight off me, possibly nine, but that last yeah. 40 pages, it told too much. It needed to show, not tell, and it fortunately it told, and it, it lost marks from me, unfortunately, with that. So. But anyway, right, Amanda. We're not going to give any hints away, are we, for book five this month? No, we're going to end 
right at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Script. Yeah, I'm not. I've not read the next book, but uh, I've heard plenty about it. That's the best way of putting it. So we'll come right back. Right, Amanda. Bye. If anybody's left. Anybody's left. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. Reading and reading in bed. Guys, yes, episode fifty-two. Reading in bed. She is Amanda Nicholson, and he is Andy. He is, he is. I like that. Now, yes, he is. He is, he is definitely right. Okay, now seriously, guys, and this is the book when we had to particularly put the out disclaimer out in this one. So, to say we've had um, Amanda's had a challenging time reading this book is an understatement because I've had to live it with her because she's gone on about this book and sometimes not glowing references either. So, right, Amanda, you better tell us what the name of the book is first of all. Yes, so this is called Grim Memorials by R. Patrick Gates. Right, obviously, I've got to ask you, Amanda, before we go into this, before we go into the blurb, what drew you to this book? I know you've listened to it in Audible, didn't you? Yeah, so I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook that people will post, like, free books to, and you can ask for a code in either the UK or the US, and it's usually in exchange for a review, and it's like, I'm reviewing it here, but I'm not going to write a review on the page because it's not very good to be honest. Well, that gives you, I get every guess that gives you a clue straight away what territory we're heading into. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, Amanda, as well, do you want to name, give us the name and the title of the book? Yeah, it's, it's Grim Memorials. Oh, of course you did. You ship the it normally, right? Okay. Now, um, do you want to give us the blurb first of all, then? Okay. Far from the concrete and steel of Boston, the town of Norfolk nestles beneath the summit of Mount Sugarloaf. The quiet community seems like the perfect place for Steve and Diane Naylor to raise their family of two children preferred on the way. Their new home is perched on the edge of a forest. A trail through the woods leads to an old Victorian mansion that once housed the town mortuary. But the memories of the daily departed are the least of what lurks there. Eleanor Grimm is a woman of desperate cunning, possessing unfathomable power. Driven by the enchantments found in fairy tales, she has bewitched the parents of Northwood, keeping them spellbound and distracted from her true agenda, claiming the mountain of souls. For more than 50 years, she has been spiriting away Northwood's children, and now she has set her sight on the nearest son and daughter. Whoa. Whoa, okay. Now, I have to ask you, man, there's a couple of things we need to call about this book, okay? Now, I'm, I know already with this one, there's quite a bit I know you don't like about this book. So do you want to do it as strengths and weaknesses or just do a character assassination time? Um, <laughs> or book it's assassination just, time? It's just going to be mostly book assassination. <laughs> yeah, well... well is there anything good you can say about this book? And I have to be honest, I have to give you that option before we start. I thought the idea was good because I love dark fairy tale retellings. And that's probably it, really. And then I was enticed, obviously, by the warning at the beginning. It said it contained disturbing, horrific, sexual scenes, you know, the whole gang. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so I was joking saying before that's what drawing Amanda's in, but I think in this case, I think it worked the other way, Amanda, didn't it? Really, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so tell us, obviously, then go into it. Then what what didn't work for you in the book? Then. Uh, so there's a character called Steve, and 
he gets seduced by this witch who is like posing as whatever people want her to see want want to see her as yeah and in this case it's a young attractive woman and even though he's got a pregnant wife there's a scene where he's like helping his pregnant wife into the car and he gets distracted and he sees her across the street and she's just sucking a finger basically in a seductive way and he almost comes in his pants oh for goodness sake <laughs> and then he can't stop thinking about her for days afterwards and even what? when he tries to juice his wife he's thinking of the woman sucking a thing. <laughs> oh my frigging god! I think I was trying to eat my breakfast when I was um, listening to the book as well, and I almost spit the breakfast all over the laptop. Uh, what's the word you use here, Amanda? Is it subtle as a ton of bricks? This book, then, is it? It feels very much like um, the wet dream of the author, like he's just like written down all the really like dark secrets and stuff that make him get turned on. Oh, put them into a book. Goodness sake. And it's just like I said, and I know you told me as well, this will make me you and you were laughing when I was coming back from work some night, and I'm going to be horrible here. Didn't you come up and say there was a scene about um, was it Red Riding Hood and the Seven Dwarfs? It was Snow White. It's ah. but much later into the book. Um, this is going to contain spoilers, by the way, before I go on. It's just the least of your problems, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go on, Amanda. So she's the witch has kidnapped all these children and there's a scene where some of them have been killed, which we'll get into later. And there's a couple left and they're trying to escape. One runs into this room and walks into the middle of an orgy between um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Dear, dear, dear. <laughs> May I ask the question then? What was the point of this to the plot? I have no idea other than it fits in with the fairy tale theme and it's supposed to shock the reader, but for the plot itself, it doesn't really add much to it. No, it doesn't really with that one. It just like said it was it does sound like it, um somebody had told me I've not read this book, it sounded like to me like somebody told me basically sex sells. Yeah. And I said to put as much graphicness in the book as possible. Now wasn't the I seem to agree that there was other quite ludicrous sex scene, sex hints in it, basically, wasn't there? Yeah, so the character Steve, who's, like, enthralled by this uh, sort of look, this vision that he has of this witch that isn't what she looks like at all, really, like, follows her into a pub, and he finds her, and she's in this corner of the pub, and there's some college students a couple of tables away, but it doesn't seem to matter that they're just sat there watching. And he proceeds to have sex with her on the table, just a few tables away from these college students. Oh. So he thinks he's like having sex with this young, attractive woman, but it still doesn't explain, you know, the public, doing it in public really, does it? Oh, and these college sake. students are looking on and being really disgusted because they just see this old woman who's about 80 or something and he's just hammering away at her. Oh, and at one point, sense. he, like, pulls on her nipples so hard and because she's so old, there's, like, blood pouring out of her nipples. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. Oh, my God. Is that, yeah, so, yeah, it's because everyone's wondering, you can see what, what was, why, I think, what probably, did this disgust you, Amanda, or did you find this funny in a horrible way? It definitely didn't turn me on. I think the author might have been turned on by it, but I wasn't. Oh, I was God just, me. like, not, 
like oh yeah but it's just like it's just it was just so funny because it was comical yeah, I don't think it was meant to be comical yeah I think he, I think he just like he said he was trying to be clever and it backfired really didn't it so yeah it just got more more outrageous as the book went on and it was just it was just laughable because I was thinking oh god what could happen next god, and yeah. then obviously the, one of the final ones near the end of the book was the orgy with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs oh, Jesus. Like, that's what could happen next it's just plain crazy it just means you to think people can't surprise you and that's what happened, didn't it? It was just plain daft. It really, really was daft. God, oh, bloody mighty. They warned about disturbing scenes, which is fair enough, but I think it went way too far. Because apart from like, all the sex stuff, there's like all the violence and torture of children as well. And I think there's probably some unwritten rules, you know, about not harming animals and children in books. Or if you do, you do it in a subtle way. And this is just like really graphic, like, you know, like little boys getting the doodads chopped off and oh, all sorts of stuff happening and getting body parts chopped off until the family get killed and some girl getting like a drill through her head and having a top of her head cut off and oh. it's just uh, I've lost track of even like why they were doing it sometimes oh dear 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 there was like oh. child sacrifice which you know is fair enough if that's the plot but the torture and the graphic scenes I just don't see why it was needed yeah, it sounded me. It went well over the top and she completely with it. Was this quite a long audio book for you to listen to this one, was it? Or did it just seem like it went on forever? It seemed like it went on forever. Yeah, which is not good, really. So Now, obviously, this isn't going to be a recommendation. People are wondering this one. So we kind of left this to Alaska. It, it sounded to me, it was just like it was so over the top. It was ridiculous, really. So, and, so what mark are you going to give this, Amanda? I'm giving it two out of ten. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I, if I'd read this, it probably could have potentially been worse, John. Yeah, that's why. So, and I think the last time Amanda gave a two out of ten was um, didn't you once do in a book you declined to name who the book author was by, the book would buy, didn't you? Yeah. I've got the thing that got two out of ten. So that kind of says it all. Like Amanda's unfortunately gives a really bad view. It's, it's a lesson to learn with this sometimes. Sometimes less is more, I think. So. Yeah, definitely. Because it's like if you only have the occasional shock, it's going to be more of a shock. But if it's just happening all the time, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's happening on the next page, and look what's happening now. Idiots. That's I think it just loses the shock value then. Yeah, it just kind of says it all definitely on that one. So silly, silly, completely not recommended this time writing at all for us. So, right, Amanda, that is it on here, isn't it, for us? So, yeah. right. Um, do you know what you're reading? Anything you're reading next month? I think I might be reading a book about serial killers. Well, that's no surprise, right? So <laughs> I've got an anthology of book um, stories by female authors, which I'm also in, but obviously I won't be reviewing my own story. Yeah, no, I'd love forward to hearing it. So I'm good. I'm good at the two Stephen Crane books next month. So I've pretty well read just over two thirds of Maggie, and I am reading. Red Badge of Courage at the moment as well. So, and I don't know, I, th- I don't know what my third book's going to be yet. And I don't know what, if we're going to do a joint book next month, Amanda. We probably will, won't we? So, it's got to sort out what. So, yeah, we'll find something. We will. Right, guys and girls, that's the end of episode 52. I hope we haven't put you off again for coming back to this next month. But we're now going to have, what do we have? What are we doing now, Amanda? We're going to have cupcake. I think we need after that. So, right, that's it, Randy N. And that's it from Amanda then. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> As Amanda says, bye.
Reading and reading and bed. Reading and reading and bed.